0: Um, So, I'll start with a quote that is at least attributed to Plato that I think is very applicable uh, today. Strange times are these in which we live when old and young are taught falsehoods in school and the person that dares to tell the truth is at once called a lunatic and a fool. Um, So, since I finished this book, um, this book was an interesting challenge because it was very much a moving target. Um, Many of the hot topics that I addressed were constantly changing and evolving Um, The laws related to them were um, constantly in motion. And just three things that have happened in the last two weeks that are very much related to my book that many of you probably saw. Um, The first was that the Boy Scouts announced that it will now allow members of either sex to participate or to use a quote from their head. We realized that referring to birth certificates as the reference point is no longer sufficient. The British Medical Association came out and published a leaflet advising people that instead of using the phrase pregnant mother, they should use the phrase pregnant people and should use the word chest feeding instead of breastfeeding in order to be more inclusive. <laughs> and if that sounds like an isolated incident, it's not. Actually, just in the last two years, the Midwives Alliance of North America came out and proposed the phrase. Birthing individual instead of pregnant woman, so I'm a birthing individual apparently because I'm seven months pregnant. Um, and then just in the last two days, I saw that American Girl—I don't know how many of the young women in the room, but I certainly grew up with American Girl—playing um, with an American Girl doll will be coming out with its first doll that is a boy. So I think we are not any time soon. Not agree I'm sorry. Do you not agree? I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a transgender boy or just an option for boys, but it is most certainly looks like a boy. Um, So I don't think we are anytime soon going to see an end to um, this situation. Um, We very much indeed today are scandalized by sex. Um, I think when this topic comes up, our minds immediately jump to the topic of bathroom bills. I've certainly found in the interviews that I've been doing over the last couple of days that that is the thing that people most associate with this topic, but what I try to do in my book is show that it's much more than that, that this is something first of all that's been going on for decades, um, that started with the sexual revolution, because I think a lot of people have you know sort of woken up and said, whoa, what happened, how are we suddenly at the point where the Boy Scouts um, is admitting biological girls and sending them potentially off overnight to sleep in tents with pubescent boys? Um, But I think that there are so many um, different ways that this has been unfolding in society, um, and that's something that I very much try to show in my book. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read just a brief section of my book um, that gives a very different but enlightening example of how this is playing out, and that is from my chapter on the military. In February 2010, then-Secretary of Defense Robert Gates announced that the Navy would lift its long-standing ban on female sailors serving aboard submarines. Women had been permitted to serve aboard surface ships for more than a decade, but submarines presented a unique challenge to the Navy's ongoing integration efforts, very cramped quarters, minimal privacy, and tours as long as three months at sea. The Navy was worried that locking up a group of men and women in a small metal tube underwater for three straight months might cause less than ideal things to transpire between the sexes. That's exactly what happened. The USS Wyoming was one of the first submarines to bring women sailors on board, and was one of the first two submarines to see a woman receive her dolphins and become a submarine officer. Dozens more women followed suit, and the Navy proudly announced that sex integration aboard subs was smooth sailing. But in 2014, a rumor began circulating aboard the USS Wyoming. Word on the nearby USS West Virginia was that lewd videos were being filmed aboard the Wyoming a formal investigation confirmed the appalling truth. A ring of male soldiers, uh, sailors, had been collaborating for more than a year to film female sailors in the showers and share those videos with fellow shipmen. This was not just a one-time prank that went viral. This was a calculated and collaborative, collaborative effort that implicated dozens of men who stood guard and covered for one another while they used banned electronic devices like iPods to fill women film women as they undressed and bathed. On one three-month patrol reports later revealed every single woman aboard the USS Wyoming was filmed naked every single time she took a shower. The incident should have been a shocking wake-up call for senior military officials. Women were systematically victimized for months on end because of a policy agenda built on blindness to sexual difference, tore down the long-standing barriers designed to protect both women and the integrity of the Navy. But rather than hit the pause button, the Navy gave the perpetrators a slap on the wrist and pressed onwards towards its next goal, integrating nuclear-powered Virginia-class attack subs and eventually all the enlisted ranks on submarines. This despite the fact that one of the Navy's own officials charged with investigating the USS Wyoming had said, no amount of barriers will be able to prevent all illegal attempts to record personnel. The upholding of standards and holding personnel accountable is the best method to prevent reoccurrence. Aside from the barrier, of course, that had been in place since the inception of the Navy's submarine program, the barrier that took into account the fact that the average submarine has just 15 square feet of space per sailor and virtually no privacy except in the captain's quarters. So this is one example, I think, that very much highlights um, what happens when you approach equality, between the sexes with a sex-blind approach. Um, I think another example that we've seen play out in the last year of this is the pushing of women into combat roles. Um, The Marines, all all, um, branches of the military were ordered in the last year to open all combat roles to women. And the only branch that protested was the Marines. And they asked for the opportunity to do a a study to see what effect this would have on their capabilities. So the Marines spent tens of millions of dollars on a study doing just that. <clears throat> and the finding of the Marines' new study were devastating. Mixed-gender units performed worse than all-male ones by significant margins in every single metric. Overall, male units failed, fared better 69% of the time. In the area of speed, which the Marines considered one of the two most important metrics for combat readiness, all-male squadrons were faster than mixed-sex squadrons in every single tactical movement. All-male units were noticeably more accurate in their aim. The male units engaged targets more quickly and scored more hits than the mixed-gender ones. The study even found that male infantry with no formal rifle training performed with greater accuracy than women who had received formal training. But the study went beyond measuring speed and accuracy and considered the physical impact of placing women into combat roles alongside men. Those findings were equally devastating. Women in the study suffered injuries at a staggering six times the rate of their male counterparts. Not only were women more likely to develop an injury related to the grueling work, but they were also slower at getting an injured Marine off the battlefield, an especially concerning result. So in other words, The military's approach of um, trying to essentially treat the sexes as if they were identical has the effect of making women more vulnerable to injury and death. And this is sort of the overarching thesis of my book, which is that when we take the approach of gender neutrality as the path towards equality between the sexes, we actually see the opposite. We see women are more vulnerable um, and women are undermined. Another example um, that I want to give that I think illustrates this are today's college campuses. CNBC recently labeled college, quote, one of the most dangerous places for women in America. And just a few statistics to that effect. According to data reported by universities and colleges in accordance with federal law and published by the government in 2014, 74% of all reported rapes of college students 82% of reported on campus rapes and 53% of what they termed on campus fondlings happened in student housing. And it's worth noting that almost all student housing today is co ed. Co ed dorms have long been the norm. Approximately 90% of colleges and universities have co ed dorms, often mixed by floors, and more than 150 schools have co ed bathrooms, which can include co ed showers. And a significant, and this is staggering one. The significant rising number of schools are now allowing co-ed rooms, 38 by one recent count. Despite all this, schools are pressing forward with even more sex integration, often forced, and often in the most private aspects of, or in, onto the most private of spaces. So in my book, I give the example of Harvard University, which is a very interesting case study in this. Uh, Many of you probably followed the downfall of Larry Summers, who was the president of Harvard University, until he was um, caught, or words that he said were leaked to the press when um, he gave a speech, which I actually think is a speech that's um, very much worth reading in full. Um, He talks at length about why it is that there aren't more women um, in the higher echelons of a number of professions, in particular um, engineering and the sciences and he actually attributes it to the fact that um, we have a society that expects people to work 60, 70, 80 hours to get ahead um, and that statistics show that women are just less likely to want to work those kinds of hours and it's sort of a harsh reality and he actually asks the question you know what can we do as a society um, to make it such that this is not a demand on any man or woman but he also made the mistake of saying that there are differences between the sexes that they can be Um, seen in children, and that they cannot all be attributed to socialization. If you read the speech, you'll find it a lot less controversial um, than you were probably led to think that it was. But nonetheless, this eventually um, began his downfall as the president of Harvard, and the woman who was hired to essentially handle the um, PR downfall, Drew Gilpin Faust, took his place and um, she immediately set out on a gender equity campaign Um, among the things that she did was to install stenographers in the classes of the business school to make sure professors were aware that they were being tracked as to how often they were calling on men versus women um, what sorts of lingo they were using in their classes but one of the things that she did that you may have read about in the news last year was to effectively ban all single-sex clubs, fraternities, sororities, and also Harvard University's finals clubs, which, it was pointed out, are equally, essentially equally divided between men and women. But she and the university argued that um, single-sex clubs are sort of the last vestige of sex discrimination um, and are also... Um, dangerous for women and should be eradicated so the school couldn't technically ban the clubs because of first amendment rights but what the school did was say anybody who participates in these clubs is no longer eligible for things like financial aid scholarships um, cannot serve as a sports captain um, and are ineligible for any sort of leadership positions in the school so it was a de facto ban um, they were not expecting the reaction that they got which was for weeks hundreds of women marched through campus They had a hashtag, hashtag campaign called Hear her Harvard um, and they essentially argued that the school was taking away their safe spaces um, Some of the women who were interviewed said that they particularly felt safe in these clubs because they had been victims of sexual assault on campus um, so this, the reaction against the school was entirely female but then what was all the more stunning was the school's reaction to the women, which was to accuse the women of being sexist. Um, their their <laughs> spokeswoman came out and said, quote, "'Change is difficult and is often met initially by opposition. That was certainly true with past steps to remove gender barriers at Harvard, yet, if, yet few today would reverse those then-controversial decisions. We believe that gender discrimination has no place on Harvard's campus.'" So, in other words, the women were sexist for wanting single sex spaces, often because they themselves had been victims of sexual assault. Um, and as one of my favorite columnists put it, Naomi Riley, instead the university told the women to go where the rapes are. In other words, co ed housing and co ed spaces. Um, so, the third example that I want to give of a way that I think a quote-unquote gender-blind approach often winds up hurting women the most has to do with sports. Um, Bernice Sandler, the godmother of Title IX, um, which she's been called, called the legislation that she helped to draft, quote, the most important step for gender equality since the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. And I know that Title IX um, gets its share of negative feedback and that there's lots of controversy surrounding parts of it, but I think that one one thing that Title IX did do that is something that people on both sides of the political aisle can agree about that was good for women was to help carve out a space for women's sports. Um, I, I note in the book that after Title IX there was a 1,079% increase in female partic- participation in sports, which in no way detracted from male participation in sports which also saw a 22 percent increase in participation over that same time period and I'm sure all of us in this room know at least one woman who has benefited in some way or may themselves have benefited from participating in in girls sports I myself am one Um, whether it's um, having access to a scholarship to college through that or just developing self esteem leadership skills and friendships at a time when I think both young men and young women are very much in need of um, spaces and opportunities to cultivate those things. So Title IX was actually designed um, to, when it apl- as it applied to sports um, to promote girls in particular, girls sports. So if there was no team for a girl, it essentially said the boys have to allow her to play on the team. But what it really did was hold schools Um, to a standard that they had to show they were making a good faith effort to um, invest in girls sports and boys sports equally. But increasingly um, schools and courts have been interpreting Title IX as it applies to girls sports with a sex-blind approach, Um, and I want to pull something out of my book here too, Um, such that boys are actually now being allowed to play in girls sports. Um, And I'm not talking about boys that self-identify as girls. I'm talking about boys that self-identify as boys. Um, The phenomenon went mostly unnoticed until 2011, when male high school senior Will Higgins competed in a girls' state swim meet in Massachusetts. He won the 50-yard freestyle race (laughs) and broke the meet record with a time that would not have even qualified him to compete in the same race in the boys' division. The lead paragraph of a Boston Globe article covering the controversy that ensued was Orwellian. Quote, the governing body that regulates high school athletics in Massachusetts is taking a closer look at the controversy surrounding mixed-gender swim teams, and this is my favorite part, and will soon address the issue of boys breaking girls' swimming records. So (laughs) um, that's just one example. I highlight highlight in the book several other examples where you have um, men or young, young men, boys, competing on girls' sports, um, beating them, you know, taking their spots in, in state and uh, you know, highly competitive levels, um, spots that often translate into things like scholarships. And the courts are essentially powerless against it. Um, they are increasingly uh, saying that, you know, if, if we are to treat the sexes as equal, we literally do not have the ability to say, Um, that a boy cannot play on a girl's sports team. Um, So these are three examples of ways that women in particular are the losers in what I call a sex-blind society. Um, And I think it's important to ask the question, and I go into this in my book, of how did we get here? Um, I trace it back to the sexual revolution. Um, And in particular feminists, second-wave feminists, of the sexual revolution who um, began to argue that sex in and or as they started to use the word gender is a construct, um, that we're socialized to be men and women, that these are random, um, meaningless labels, and that if anything, um, they are invented by the patriarchy to oppress women. Um, women are socialized to be oppressed by men. Um, and that the way that a woman asserts equality with a man is to essentially become identical to a man. Um, And if that sounds a little bit hyperbolic, I have a couple of quotes that I think are illuminating. The first is from Hugh Hefner, who calls himself one of the original feminists. He says, women were the major beneficiary of the sexual revolution. It It permitted them to be natural sexual beings as men are. That's where feminism should have been all along. And then to quote someone different, Harvey Mansfield, professor at Harvard who's written extensively on this topic, says, gender neutrality seems at first to disregard sexual difference, but it also wants women to be more independent, more like men. It assumes that what was until recently specific to men is actually common to both sexes. Um, So... You know I think we see this play out in two ways starting with the sexual revolution. One of them is biological. Um, this was when we started to see a strong push for contraception and abortion um, which is essentially assumes that the wombless male body is the paradigmatic ideal um, and then socially an increasing argument that unless women are and some of these arguments are not invalid paid the same amount as as men although this has translated today in into something where you know unless a woman is taking home the same paycheck as her husband she's not equal to him in marriage or you know we see this obsession with um, the division of chores at home and unless a man is doing the same number of chores as a woman at home then that is not an equal marriage when in fact um we're finding despite as all of this has been unfolding for the last several decades and i talk about this in my book is at the same time, we've been discovering more and more and understanding more and more that the biological differences and um, the, the biological distinctions and the social preferences of the sexes are even more different than we ever knew, more important and more pronounced than we had ever known. Um, One example that I give that I think is very interesting is that for a long time, the pharmaceutical companies would, when they did clinical trials, um, would do the trials just on men. And then they would find that um, the women, when they would take the drugs, would have um, a very different physiological reaction to the drugs than the men, such that now pharmaceutical companies know they have to test a drug on both men and women. We're finding that boys and girls learn differently in school and in fact um, I document in the book the incredible rise just in the last 10 to 15 years of single-sex education um, a very sort of uncontroversial rise of single-sex education in fact I um, I follow this blog it's a guilty pleasure it's called DC Urban Moms and Dads it's um, it's it's a it's a blog called DC Urban Moms and Dads and it's a it's mostly progressives of um, of this area young parents and They were just talking today with excitement about the fact that Washington DC may get its first all-female charter school, high school, um, in a positive way. Um, And then we've also continued to find, um, for example, with regards to the unending debate about work-life balance, that um, women have very different work-life preferences than men, that women with children under 18 overwhelmingly say that part-time work or no work at all um, is their preference during that time. So uh, it's sort of a schizophrenic thing that as we're increasingly pushing this denial of the sexes, we're understanding more and more how different they are um, and, and seeing it emphasized more than ever. So I give the example of um, gender reveal parties. Uh, as something that I think um, illustrates just how um, much we still value the differences between boys and girls. And I have to say that as somebody who is pregnant, um, Pretty much the first question I ever get is, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? Just tonight, I've already been asked twice. Um, but increasingly, parents are sort of celebrating that, that, that mystery or the answer to that question. And you may have seen this on Facebook. Um, people like to photograph it. I've increasingly seen people hire professional photographers, and they reveal it on Facebook. Um, people have a cake that has pink or blue. They cut it open. They have a whole party just to announce what they call the gender, um, really the sex of their unborn child. Um, The website Baby Center found in the last year that they had a 900% increase in threads on gender reveal parties and that YouTube in one six-month stretch last year saw an even bigger increase in videos uploaded to the site of people filming their gender reveal. Another thing I talk about in the book are the rise of single-sex spaces. Um, We're seeing an increase in women-only gyms. Just since I finished the book, I've seen at least three or four more articles about women-only shared working spaces. I don't know if anybody here has used WeWork. Um, It's it's a, you pay like a $50 fee every month and you have access to like a desk and a coffee space and it's great for freelancers. Well, increasingly, women are finding that they want that, they just don't want the distraction of men (laughs) bothering them or flirting with them while they're working. Um, Many of these uh, women-only working spaces are designed to accommodate nursing mothers. I read about one that has a spa theme. And then um, recreational classes. So uh, I I write about this in the book that we're seeing an increase in things like women-only ski classes. Um, And again, these are things that aren't controversial to people. People see the articles about them and just sort of inherently understand um, why this? There would be a demand for this, but it's worth noting that the demand is primarily driven by women. Um, I liked this quote from the founder of Curves, which was one of the first women's-only exercise facilities. Uh, he said, "Men don't care if women look at their butts while they're working out, um, but women obviously do. <laughs> Hence, the drive for or the demand for women-only gyms." Um, and then another thing that I think. If you haven't already noticed this after tonight, you'll feel like every other article you see is about this. Um, But increasingly, we're seeing a better understanding of how it is that men and women uh, engage each other and contribute differently in the workplace, um, and really in all aspects of society. Um, So I want to read one more clip here. Um, This was from an article in the New York Times, I think it was entitled, Why Men Need Women, by Adam Grant. And he talks about um, many different ways that men are influenced, either by just the exposure to a woman, be it a sister um, or a wife or working uh, with women. He says, or I I write, uh, one study found that men who have daughters or simply work with women are more likely to agree that men should help more with chores at home another study found that men who grow up with sisters go on to spend more time with their families as well as to be more generous with charitable giving in a piece for the New York Times Adam Grant reports that social scientists believe that the empathetic nurturing behaviors of sisters rub off on their brothers he also cites Bill Gates who attributes his decision to launch one of the largest charities in the world and give the vast majority of his fortune to it he attributes this to the women in his life, his mother, his wife, and his daughter. The piece cites a different study reporting that while women generally opt for a more even distribution of resources, men are more likely to be either perfectly selfish or perfectly selfless. It may be, Grant notes, that meaningful contact with women is one of the forces that tilt men towards greater selflessness. Um, And he goes on to cite the example of male CEOs who, when their firstborn child is a son, actually, on average, cut the wages of their employees. But when their firstborn child is a daughter, on average, raise the wages of their employees. So more and more, we're seeing through sociology um, the ways that women um, impact the workplace and society for the good, and sort of the complementary way that the sexes interact. So. Um, sort of to sum up what I argue in the book or what I try I try to make the case that um, for a long time we've been operating under the assumption that the way to equality between the sexes is to treat the sexes as if they were identical but what I show in the book is that equal treatment does not yield equal outcomes and that if anything when we treat the sexes in a completely equal way what we find is a very unequal outcome for women and I think contrary to the approach that our society is currently taking of trying to stamp out every last vestige of sex difference, even while schizophrenically um, you know, increasingly celebrating sex difference through things like gender reveal parties, um, that true equality, when we talk about equality between the sexes, that has to start with understanding and accepting what makes us different, that that's the real path to the equality that I think people on both sides of the debate really are seeking. So with that, thank you. Okay, we're gonna open, oh, sorry. We're gonna open up the Q&A session. Um, If you have a question, just raise your hand and I'll come over to you with the mic. Well,
1: to, to dig a little deeper, what do you think is the origin of this kind of insanity that, that is being perpetrated on us?
0: Um, so going back to the sexual revolution, I really think that's where it started. I really think that um, we got really sort of feminism or the women's rights movement derailed um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s and began aggressively pushing this idea and you see it sort of in academia, women's studies, gender studies, the advent of gender theory, this idea that if we can just liberate ourselves and I quote extensively some um, feminists from that period talking about this, that if we can just liberate, it's almost sort of like a Gnostic, like a neo Gnostic idea that if we can just liberate ourselves from our bodies essentially what came about was the idea that the realities of especially the female body that those are hindrances and that we have to get rid of them and that we have to control them um, which i argue was very much the wrong approach because it, what it ended up doing was allowing men to instrumentalize women all the more and now here we are you know four or five decades later and actually Feminists, many feminists are making the argument that we should actually legalize the ultimate and most obvious form of instrumentalization of the female body, which is prostitution. And many of them make the argument and and base their argument on what they call gender equity, that it's only the equitable thing to do. If a man can buy a woman, then a woman should be able to sell herself. So I think um, that's where it started. The problem is, and I love Harvey Mansfield on this, The problem is that um, what all that we wound up seeing was women sort of abandoning what made them distinct, and men didn't. Um, Men have shown no interest in in abandoning um, sort of manliness. I mean, there are certain ways in which this has happened, but um, women were sort of more than willing to um, give up or cede femininity. Um, and essentially allow society to make the baseline for equality the male paradigm, whether it's the infertile male body um, or the idea that being, you know, just the fact that we're actually celebrating the idea that four in 10 households are um, run by single women as if that that's some sort of triumphant moment because women are doing what men have done for centuries shows that we're constantly comparing um, female achievement with male achievement and even the military example I think Um, this idea that women can only be equal to men in the military if they are engaged in the most violent and extreme hand-to-hand combat which even many men in the military aren't um, aren't qualified for but um, I, I really do think it started with sort of theories coming out of the sexual revolution really two of them one being that we have to detach and rid ourselves from women, from the limitations of our body, bodies, and two that um, equality looks like identicalness between the sexes. Actually, what I've observed it sort of counteracts that because there seems to be this was going on for a couple decades, more of a war on boys. In the schools, they do try to emphasize the way that girls learn. They really try to suppress masculine behavior like competitiveness and I've, I've just observed it in like these younger millennial I call them pajama boys walking around I mean wearing skinny jeans and flip flops man buns really? <laughs> and um, that's I think is that's I think that's actually scarier. no that's totally legitimate I give the example in my book of a school that banned Legos because the boys were playing with the Legos and then, ironically, Lego, the company, put out a line for girls that was very girly, and it exploded. Um, but no, I d- I certainly do think, and I think others before me have written much better on sort of the war on boys. Um, and the funny thing is that in trying, you know, the war on boys has um, been effective, I think, but it's also it still hasn't stopped the pushing of girls to be more like boys.
1: So in this. Moment of confusion with, uh, particularly with uh, gender, uh, gender theory, gender ideology. Um, to what degree do you think? Well, I mean, I think, and I'm wondering how much you think. We're at a disadvantage. We who, uh, when we talk about it, when we conflate and make sex and gender sound synonymous, when in fact, even according to those who advance the theory, they are not. And might we be better off if we made a clear distinction so then we could preserve the differences of sex and then deal with the problem of competing ideas about gender, if it exists at all.
0: Yeah, I have a whole chapter on this in my book. And I think this, I mean, words matter, language matters, and we're seeding major territory in the debate even by using the word gender. And I should get a slap on the wrist because my own web magazine that I started seven, eight years ago talks about, or refers to gender, not sex. Um, But it's easy to, you know, I I remember talking about this when I was early in the writing stages with my mom, and my mom was trying to correct me and tell me that no gender means whether you're boy or girl, Um, sex refers to something else. And I was like, no, if you look at, like, medical textbooks, and often if you're checking a box at the doctor's office or TSA, they'll ask you your sex. I mean, that's starting to change, and in fact, somebody told me the other day, this sort of blew my mind, Um, this was for, to give blood at the Red Cross they were asked what their gender of origin was. Um, so, but no, you're absolutely right. Sex has a very concrete meaning. It means whether you are male or female, and that definition, um, and you'll find this very plainly in, in really, the, I quote the American Academy of or Psychiatrists, sociologists, just everybody in the medical field, in the scientific world, will say that your sex is determined by basically two things your chromosomes and your genitalia the end and in one mayo clinic textbook they actually say that your sex stays with you to use their words from womb to tomb Um, but gender gender actually just means category that's all it means i mean it um it really means nothing actually and i think a illustrative example of what happens when you start using gender instead of sex is what happened with Facebook. Um, for a long time you had a little drop-down box and it was male or female. And then, I'm sure they got pressured to do this, they decided to offer in addition to male and female something like 70 different genders. And almost immediately had to backpedal from that because they got such an overwhelming response um, from people saying that their gender was not um, available and eventually just left it as a fill in the blank I think now it's just other um, but it's it's sort of you either have you either use sex or you have anarchy um, it gender introduces sort of an, an anarchic element into the debate which I think is why um, people who are pushing this movement like to use it I mean I could go down a separate rabbit hole about <laughs> how within gender theory there's a lot of debate about that because um, people who, self ident- who consider themselves transgender are actually looking for the validation of sex they like the idea of concrete categories because they want to be acknowledged in you know their change or transition but there's I quote one person in the book um, actually a legal scholar who says you know answers the question how many genders are there in the world and he says about seven billion in other words one for every person
1: Do you believe that you, first of all, thank you, do you believe that you can be a
0: feminist and be Catholic at the same time? Oh, totally. Um, I mean, I think feminism is another word that's become sort of meaningless, like gender, Um, and I think that is part of why something like 18% of Americans self-identify as a feminist, I think there's other reasons for that, too, um, Exhibit A, the Women's March, and the sort of non-inclusive nature of, of that event. Um, but no, I think actually the, the Catholic Church um, offers a very sort of, I mean, it was a big part of my conversion, actually, was um, reading the clarity with which the Church talks about men and women, but especially the very countercultural and empowering, in my opinion, um, way the church understands women. I think the church got women, I think society still hasn't got women, but I think the church got it a long time ago. Um, And you know you have like Pope John Paul II who started a conversation about a new feminism and I think Pope Francis is continuing that when he talks about things like the need for a, a new theology of women. So I think if you decide you want to use the word feminism I think there are very um, that can very much be used in tandem with Catholic theology.
1: Thanks for your talk. It was very edifying. Um, I, in conversations with people that uh, perhaps don't share my view of men and women being distinctly different, have pointed to the Hillary Clinton's um, you know, nomination uh, as important in distinguishing men and women not just different, biologically but also psychologically etc and i've had some varied responses to that but what i've gotten sometimes is well it's not because men and women it's lived experiences i've gotten that so i'm wondering if you've encountered that in conversations you've had with people and you know how do you how do you address that in these kind of you know we don't always have time to go into all ch- the church teachings about the differences between men and women how do you quickly kind of address some of those things?
0: Um, well, it's sort of hard to do quickly. But, you know, I actually it's funny. I've been using the phrase lived experience a lot because I think there's this major disconnect between this sort of elite agenda of gender, you know, the elite gender identity movement, if you want to call it that, and people's lived experiences. I think um, the lived experience of most women is that, you know, they want to date and be courted and be treated with respect and don't actually find the up culture all that fulfilling um, and probably feel a little bit like maybe it's given men the upper hand um, I mean certainly one lived experience that is extremely different for women than men is that of bearing and birthing children um, but even those things are under attack I mean I, I you know you sort of laugh about the example of the pregnant people and birthing individual Um, but, I mean, increasingly society is finding that politically incorrect, that the most sort of, like, extremely different lived experience of men and women we can't talk about. Um, And then, I mean, you want to talk about lived experience, talk about raising children. I mean, having a boy and a girl truly opened my eyes to, one, how early on children begin to understand how – much a part of their identity their sexes i mean pretty much as soon as my daughter could talk it was he's a boy she's a girl he's a boy she's a girl boys don't do that girls don't do this and yes some of it is socialization um but i mean even she doesn't know anything about the bathroom debates and we walked into a bathroom the other day and she said this is the women's bathroom daddy can't come in here and i'm like a four-year-old gets it why can't society get this um and so that and then also that there are true differences between the sexes a toy that my daughter would play with very sort of intricately my son found more entertaining to smash into the wall for the sound over and over and over again and these are stereotypes but um, i think most people's lived experience is that sex is actually not that scandalous Um, i don't think most couples are sitting at home with a chart saying you know how many chores did you do how many hours is this equally divided they're just trying to pay the bills Um, and women are finding that for whatever reason they are more inclined to be a little bit more at home with their kids and their husbands Um, and that that's not something that offends them even though it seems to offend sort of every woman writing for every major mainstream magazine so I think when you're having these debates, it's just good to appeal to those lived experiences, if you will. Um.
1: So you were talking about um, not wanting to go into stereotypes or anything like that. Uh, But how do
0: you propose to implement a change where we're not going to stereotype people um, and at the same time be able to have afforded them things like, if you want to work and have children, but at the same time keep in mind that there are differences.
1: How how do you propose to, to go forward with this, I guess?
0: Well, on the topic of stereotypes, I actually think that trying to deny the differences between the sexes has actually enhanced and ex- exacerbated stereotypes. And I think that's because It sort of sends people flailing for any kind of um, quote unquote binary, if you will. And what we wind up with as the stereotypes are the super macho man and the hypersexualized woman. And, you know, exhibit A Beyonce, you know, uh, talking about herself as a feminist, um, and then at the same time singing lyrics that uh, involve or sort of glamorize sexual violence. Um, but then you have Cheryl Sandberg, I mean, it's not like this is happening in a Hollywood vacuum. You have, she was on the cover of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People and Cheryl Sandberg wrote the piece essentially praising her. Um, so I do think that we actually have sort of more stereotypical molds of male and female um, coming out of the sort of gray fog of the gender neutral society. Um, I'm not sure exactly how I would answer your question, other than, I think, unfortunately, the burden sort of falls on women, I think, to demand the right to live as women. I think we're seeing a shift. I think, like, my generation of women is increasingly sort of like, I'm gonna make the work-life choices I want, and I don't really care what you think. And people have been talking about the death of the mommy wars, um, just because we're sort of like, we don't care. I have many friends who just, they were very career oriented and then they just decided to stop working. And I'm not like, when are you gonna go back to work? I just don't care what she does and she doesn't care what I do. Um, but I'm not, you know, beyond that I'm not sure I completely answering your question right about stereotypes. But I think um, the more we sort of let people live as their you know comfortable with their own sex the less likely we are to focus on a stereotype and we'll actually be able to see that within maleness and femaleness there's an extraordinary range of to go back to the phrase lived experiences that um, there's you know sort of an infinite number of arrangements between husbands and wives as to how they handle those dynamics and that you know not every boy is going to be some sort of alpha male if you will and um, not every girl is going to be, you know, even like the whole C- female CEO thing, I'm enjoying seeing the way that we're increasingly seeing women who are, are both female CEOs and stay-at-home moms. I just read the story of one woman who I think actually just died. She was the CEO of Sarah Lee, and she's an interesting case study. She was a CEO, and then she dropped out of the workforce completely and was a stay-at-home mom, and then she became the CEO again. Um, so, She's somebody who sort of defies the stereotype, but only because she clearly felt comfortable enough to make the choice to um, live out her femaleness as she wanted to. Uh,
1: thank you so much. Great presentation. Uh, I'm curious. You do. A, you, it sounds like you do a very good job of, of um, taking down the other side and, and the argument. I hope so. Um, but. At the same time, like, can you give us a North, can you give a North Star? Like, can you? It's one thing to say, "Don't be a terrorist." It's one thing to say, "Don't destroy, gen- don't destroy the definition of sex." But, but, can you give a North Star? Can you give a paradigm of what it means to be female that is something for feminism to rally around, like true feminism to rally around, without immediately having to point to Mary or the church or.
0: I was just going to say, good North Star would be the Catholic Church. Um, Not really. I mean, I think people just need to find um, role models for themselves. Um, But, I mean, I certainly think there's a way forward, but I do think it's sort of the challenge for this generation to, I mean, you know, I think actually what's needed is a new wave of feminism. And that's hard because, you know, again, going back to the Women's March, there's sort of a chokehold over what is sort of, woman and woman's interests, but then you know the New York Times just had a piece I think last weekend um, sort of poking holes in this idea that this is there's only one way to be a feminist only one way to be a woman Um, but because so much of why it is that we got here I think was driven by second wave feminism and I think it's totally realistic this idea of having another wave of feminism because we talk about first wave feminism second wave whether or not there is a third wave that's happened already is up for dispute, but um, I certainly think that this generation is up to the task of, of doing what you just described. But I can't point to any one North Star except to say that, ironically, for all the bad press that it gets, the, by it I mean the Catholic Church, I think the place where you're going to find the most sanity on these topics is the Catholic Church. I mean, when I sit around with friends um, who are, you know, around the age of my husband and I who are priests, you know, they're not, at, you know, testing me for working or, you know, it's, I think the church has an extremely nuanced understanding of these things while still being very tethered to reality. And the church may end up being one of the last, you know, the storm may get crazier before it calms down again. And I think the church may be um, like it is on so many other issues like abortion Um, the last institution to kind of hold its guard on this topic.
2: I had struggled for quite a long time with the idea that a female saint cannot be a priest, but the church protected male criminals as priests. Um, What really was the final straw for me was when Pope Francis, whom I admired greatly, Um, said that the reasoning, the rationale was that none of the apostles were women. And I thought, well, none of the apostles were Asian, none of the apostles were Native American, there's no problem ordaining Native Americans or Asians, is there? It seemed that, I was going to use the word gender, but I'll use the word sex, has greater priority than the spirituality of the person. I don't want to be a priest, but I think the value should be on the spirituality of the person rather than the sex or the genitals, as you put it. Can you comment on that?
0: Sure. And I will just push back respectfully and say that actually I think this debate about women priests is an example of how we get trapped into thinking that women are only equal with men if they do everything a man does. A priest can't be a nun but I think the fact that society is fixated on priests just goes to show how we just immediately go to what the men do as the baseline for what is the ideal Um, and no I mean certainly no well catechized Catholic would say that what a priest does is more important than what a nun does and if anything I mean um, if what we're called to ultimately is service to one another I think um, nuns are living that out in a very extraordinary way um so that would be sort of how i would respond to that and to talk about what pope francis has said i mean he's he's constantly going back to mary and talking about how she's more important than the apostles um really more important than anybody and i think he's somebody who's kind of kind of helped to uh re-emphasize the important role of women in the church and is trying you know to uh find ways to incorporate women but I think as long as we're stuck in this idea that um, women are only equal with men in the church when they can be priests, we, we're, we're, we're never going to win.